There's a place some of us go each fall. A place where the ring of a bell filters through the covers and hurried shouts of bird up bring everybody to attention. A place where the playful puppies around our house are transformed here to driven bird finders. And where there is confidence in the slow pace of the silver-muzzled old veterans. Where our friends tell the same old stories each year, and none of us seem to mind. Where great shots are forgotten, and epic misses never fade. Where an old gun will have a story to tell, if only it could speak to us. Where all the good seats are claimed by the dogs. If you have a camp, you know these things all too well. If you don't, well, you're always welcome here. So pull up a chair, tell us about your favorite gunner dog, and we'll admire the birds together and talk the night away by the fire. Welcome to Bird Camp. Well, again, we'll begin by starting by thanking the Patreons. Uh, thank you guys for your contributions. That uh, that money goes here and there, again, like I said, into conservation and into fundraisers and things of that nature. And, again, I appreciate your support of the podcast. And, uh, again, thank you. Uh, on that note as well, we have a Patreon giveaway going on. Anybody who is a Patreon currently or signs up before September 15th, opening day of grouse season here in Michigan, uh, will be in a drawing for a little prize pack of trinkets and odds and ends I've kind of collected and gained, and uh, one of which, if you remember the podcast episode with Josie Johnson and his boys, I have a nice SCTP pin. I bought a couple. One of them is for the podcast here for for a giveaway, as well as I'm, I keep looking at my library as, as what I might pull out of there and put in there that would be worthy of a giveaway and not, you know, like like somebody might think I'm getting rid of a junk book. I, well, I don't have junk books. But I keep coming back to a Burton Spiller book of mine up there that uh, it looks like it came out of the public library. Again, I'm kind of thrifty if it is, but it's a, it's a more than serviceable copy, and I keep looking at it, and I think that that might be part of my podcast prize pack as well. Um, as well, there's a little bit of woodworking around here from my friend that does that. Um, that's probably going to go in there. Who knows what else? But it'll be a nice little prize pack again September 15th. We're going to be pulling that winner's name. And it's uh, there's no restriction. A dollar a month and you're in. Ten dollars a month, you're still in only once. Uh, Twenty, thirty, forty, fifty dollars a month, that'd be great. I, I would question your judgment a little, but I would also accept the money. Anyway, with that in mind, Something came up over the weekend. You may have saw a picture on Facebook or two of my son Caleb and I out at an event that was held by the Roger Moore uh, Rough Grouse Society chapter, and that was held over in Gladwin at the field trial unit, and we had a great day. And uh, that was paid for, of course, with Patreon money. That was a fundraiser for Roger Moore's chapter, uh, going, going, of course, into habitat conservation or education about rough grouse. Uh, things of that nature there, but uh, wildlife biologist Bruce Barlow was there and gave a nice talk about uh, 
managing habitat for grouse and then a, a quick format that, that the trial grounds does, much similar uh, like it does to our gems. And so that was great to see and uh, was able to watch a brace of dogs run and and kind of get my questions answered a little here and there. And uh, either way, it was a great day having my boy out with me. And that's kind of what I do with the Patreon money. There's something going on with a chapter. And if you're interested in things like that, by all means, follow as many of the chapters as possible. There's a Facebook group called Michigan Rough Grouse Society that uh, hopefully you see an event in your area and you can join in and, and just have fun. And hopefully that works out for you and uh, ran into a bunch of friendly faces. That That's kind of normal at a dog thing or a grouse thing. Um, friendly faces are 99 out of 100. So with that in mind, uh, we'll be on to the podcast here in a second. Contact us, of course, over here at mi.birdcamp at gmail.com. Again, I'm kind of interested in finding some old timers that want to just sit down and talk hunt and get a couple of them together in a room and uh, ply them with some basic conversation questions and let them uh, tell about the things the way they used to be and the way they changed and and uh, what they think and kind of those old memories that seem to you know even in my case I'm only 43 you lose a few things here and there until you start talking and it starts to pop back into your head and uh I'd like to do that with a couple of old-timers, so if you have a few in mind, mi.birdcamp at gmail.com, or of course you can find BirdCamp on Facebook, or me, Joe Swanky. And uh, with that, on to the episode. And we're off. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the BirdCamp podcast. I am your host, Joe Swanky. I am here today with guests... Uh, Craig Shaw. Craig is somebody I've met from Facebook and one of those, we'll say, fellow chefs where I get to watch his his food pictures come along and uh, and see what I can learn. But Craig, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. And uh, Craig, you're you're a resident here in Northern Michigan now, right? Correct. I I, uh, I don't know if I want to say the exact. No, no, city, no, no, no. But, hot uh, spotting allowed. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm in. Uh, North, northeast. Mm-hmm. Uh, originally, uh, I was from Mount Clemens. Uh, lived in the Lapeer area, Attica, for close to 40 years. After retirement, uh, I was still training some dogs and uh, lived out of an RV for four months and finally convinced the wife to move north. And uh, we did that, what, five years ago. So, yep. Okay, so now you're you're a lot closer to God's country and good grouse hunting than I am. Uh, yep. Yep. Periodically they, they come right through my yard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're every now and then I hear one down here in Southern Michigan and that's a, during the drumming, you know, Turkey scouting, but, uh, yep. that's as close as I get to them in my yard is sometimes I hear them around. But, uh, with, with that in mind and, being up there, then you still get out hunting quite a bit then, I would expect, now that you're retired. Uh, I try to go just about every day. Uh, and it, it might only be for an hour, half hour, but I go every day. And uh, <clears throat> and I'm kind of blessed, you know, when you talk about camps. My, my home here, the reason why I bought it, it's actually set up as a bird camp. Uh, I've got a walkout basement. There's 
a full bedroom, full bathroom, sofas, bar, wood stove, and guys can come in through the bottom, bring their dogs in. And uh, so periodically I have guys in and out. And uh, it's one of them things, uh, I'll, I'll hunt with about anybody at least once. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty set right here. Oh yeah. So, so a little bit about it then there's, there's different methods for hunting. And since of course we're, we're in August and we're always looking forward now and, uh, and the time's getting here quick, what's your method of hunting? How, how do you like to do it? What gives you the most enjoyment? Uh, when you you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of blessed that I've, I've been here and I hunted this area even as a young man. My, my family had a place in, in my old, mainly a deer camp, but you know, I, I learned the area quite well. And I, I think when I looked last, I looked at my little map, I think I've got 74 X's, you know, so <laughs> right close to the house, I've, I'm in a good habitat. And, and I'm not the type that I don't do a big death march. You know, most of my spots are I'm in and out of them in up to an hour and then on to the next one. Uh, and depending how I, how I feel that day, if I'm going to keep going, whatever. But, uh, yeah, I, I've been very blessed with some very good areas. And I mainly hunt edges like most of the guys do. Uh, my theory is a little different. Uh, I grew up with Britneys. My dad always had a Britney. I ended up with Britneys, and that's what I, I raised for years. I have two of them now. And I, I did, you know, we can talk a bit on field trialing. I, I, did, get, I did get the field trial bug and was very successful. Uh, I had a field trial champion. And being a pro, I couldn't handle her an amateur. A good friend of mine handled her for her amateur championship. And we went to the Nationals. I, I didn't win. I didn't place, but I made it there. But my perspective now, and a lot of the field trailers are going to curse me, and I'll probably get some phone calls, but I like my dogs like a windshield wiper now. You know, field trailing, you want them at 10 and 2, 10 and 2. Mm -hmm. I like them like a wind, my mine are like a windshield wiper, and I don't say much to them. But with my hearing as bad as it is, I got hearing aids now. I use a beeper. When the beeper gets right out of range, I just say whoop, and they turn and they come exactly right straight back across. Get to the corner, back across, boom. They go in point. I walk to them, and <laughs> right or wrong. Uh, my best one that I've got right now with a grouse, if it's, if it's moved, when I go to walk past him, I don't have to release him. He just automatically starts tracking. And then once he lets me walk past him, the bird is set. <laughs> so <laughs> would, I, would I win with him now? No. <laughs> Does he put birds in the air? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and we're, we're very successful with it. I've got a good friend of mine who comes back from Arizona, a field trialer, and he's, he, he just goes, hey, can we run Mickey again? He goes, I don't know how you did that, but that's the best grouse dog I've ever hunted over. <laughs> <laughs> and and Gil, Gil had the, he had a, a 
a Grove's trial champion. You know, he he was an amateur champion in in the Grove's trial. So, yeah, it makes me feel good. So, yep, it does, and that's one of those things that we've had on the podcast before. That relocation ability in a dog that that we allow it to do really does make a good grouse dog. They they're very mobile birds, so a mobile dog, you know, right. with, with some manners really does help out. And yep. uh, we'll get we'll get kind of right into there. I know you kind of referenced it where you couldn't run in the am- amateur because you were already a pro. Uh, where were you a Correct. pro? Kind of what were, what were you doing then? I was well. I for my career, you know, I, I started out when I went to college. Out of college, I mainly worked for Ryder Truck Rental. And then I started working at Hunter's Creek part-time guiding just to get out and get moving and and do a little bird hunting with my dogs. And then when I left Ryder, I went to work at Hunter's Creek full-time and then ended up going to the Huntsman Hunt Club in Dryden where I was there 24 years. And I, I trained dogs, guided hunts, taught hunter safety, uh, and got to know the chef there, Chef Tom, uh, where I learned a lot about my cooking techniques. <laughs> that's that's one of those places, too, I would like to get to someday. I know I, I had an invite recently that you saw. Um, yes. I got I to gotta get down there just to eat one for, to meet Chef Tom as well. But to, it, this is the Huntsman's a, a hospitality uh, kind of renowned place, isn't it? It, it's it's a very high end, you know. There there's a lot of clubs in the in the state, you know. But the really big ones, there's the Huntsman, Hunters Creek, and now the Rooster Ranch has really stepped up, and uh, they're 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 doing a great job. They're all different amenities now. The Huntsman is more high end, you know. They've got executive chef. There's an exclusive wine cellar. There's a cigar bar, you know, there's, you know, in the basement, you know, there's uh, very high-end food, per se, uh, sporting clays. Sounds like I should polish my boots before I go there. (laughs) Well, you know, I've been blessed uh, meeting some awful great people there and watching them progress. You know, uh, I think I mentioned to you, I took Ray McVeigh on his very first hunt when he knew nothing and sold him his first dog, we trained it and I trained numerous dogs for him over the years. And now Ray is up there field, field trial dogs, you know, tournament hunting, sporting clays. I mean, the guy is one of the best, I think, you know, and I got to watch him from the very beginning. So, yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's one of those things too. guiding too. Uh, the experiences that you would have, guiding i found that in the few years i've done it now i've seen so many more smiles than i have anything else right there's always a horror story out there but it's got to be what 10 to 1 smiles i you know the the one thing i can say you know people asked me you know when i decided to retire they said how can you give this up i said well it's the it is the the best job in the world really because Everybody that comes there is happy. It can be snowing, it can be sleeting, it can be pouring rain, and they're just smiling going through the field because that's what they want to do. It's not like, you know, I always say it's not like when you go to see your the auto mechanic. Well, geez, what's that going to cost me now? 
you know, these guys, they, they don't care. They just, they're here to, they're to have a good time, shoot some birds and, and have a great meal. And it was a, it was a great place, but part of it too, for me to retire, there was things that I wanted to do. And when you're in the service business, you've got to be there, you know? So it was tooth and nail for me to, you know, there was years that I never went, there was probably 10 years that I never made it grouse honey <laughs> just because, you know, I was guiding hunts six days a week. And the one day off was like, no, I got to recuperate, you know? So, uh, right. And your dogs are booked by then too. Oh yeah. They, you know, I would have six dogs at a time, you know? So then along with a, with a, a lab, you know, some guys wanted a flushing dog and, and then I got into, you know, we, we talk on bird camps, you know, I started going to Saskatchewan. I went there for 14 years. Mm-hmm. Finally, I just went, no, I got to take a vacation, get away. I got to do some bird hunting and started going to Saskatchewan. And yeah. that's the, uh, that's, that's pure God's country up there. Yep. We have a guy coming to camp this year that had a preserve. And yeah, it was a day or two a year. He could get away grouse hunting. He couldn't really do trips anywhere. And so when he got out of it, he had a standing invite. I think I invited him three, four years in a row. He looked right at me. I will be there. Okay. Yep. We got a yep. bed for you. <laughs> and uh, I, I feel sorry for the grouse because I don't think he's really going to see his own doorstep for most of October, but uh, he's going to make up for lost time. Yep. uh, I'm happy for him, but uh, it's. And and basically, that's what I did when I, you know, (laughs) when I retired. Like I said, I I still had people wanted me to train, work their dogs. Mm -hmm. And so I started a grouse camp and I had this 28 foot travel trailer, you know, that I set up in a campground up here. And they didn't care what I, you know, how many dogs I had in or out. And guys would come up, I, you know, I, they'd leave me their dog. I'd have it for a couple of weeks, get it acclimated in the woods, get it, you know, get it going. And then they'd come up and we'd go grouse hunting and they'd come up three or four times and take the dog home. And the next one would come up. And uh, I did that for four years, I believe. So, yeah. Huh. So that so you've pretty much what you're saying is you've lived pretty much the life everyone wants or think they want for 20 30 years. Oh yeah, by by all you know, by all means, but it <laughs> takes its toll on you, you know. Yeah. Oh I, yeah. You know, I've had a hip replaced, my knees are throbbing, my back is shot, you know, and uh, and uh, actually I just got off the phone with uh, Craig Novotny, who's actually the manager at the Huntsman. He just had another knee replaced today. You know, that's the second one. And uh, he's got back problems just, you know, because you're out there in the elements, people don't realize that, you know, you're out there, you know, I can remember guiding hunts with snowshoes on, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, and we'd plow down a hedgerow so the dogs, so the guys could be in the, in the plowed area and, we're in deep snow day in day out twice a day you know so yeah (laughs) it it takes a soul on you 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's there's some weekends where it only took me two or three days, and I was like, all right, I need to get back to work on Monday just so <laughs> I can recover in time for next weekend. Yep. That's, that's for sure. The, uh, yep. with, with the experience you had training then, um, and I've went over yep. this with some of the other guests, I want to go over it a little bit with you from the perspective you have now of being a guy that, that does primarily just hunts for fun. Yeah. The, you know, when, when I trained, yeah. when, when I trained Joe, you know, every, you know, there's other trainers that, that strive to get your dog ready for field trials. We always did what we call companion gun dogs, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and usually, you know, some people would only leave the dog 30 days in 30 days. I, you know, I'd get it pointing it find birds I'd shoot a bird and it might retrieve, it might not in 30 days, you know, and uh, some would go on, bring it back. And uh, so it was mainly a companion gun dog, you know. Yeah. Uh, we didn't uh, we didn't train for field trials. Uh, we did do, a, you know, Craig Nabot, you did do an awful lot of duck dogs, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I I did that with him. My My expertise, what I preferred was pointing dogs. And that's what I, that's what I mainly worked with, you know? Yeah, I can, I, I can work a lab. I can get it to sit, stay. Uh, it might take a blind retrieve. It might not, you know, but that's yeah. not my, that's not, not my gig per se. So, right. well, but what you just described though, in that month of work is a dog that goes out, finds birds, uses its nose. You know, you've, you've kind of given everything but the training wheels at that point to the, the owner. I mean, right, they can be ecstatic with that dog. That's probably the thing they wanted the most was I just need the dog to hunt for me. And right, and and they they might only yeah. hunt it two or three times a year. There were some dogs that I trained Joe that they never took honey. <laughs> you know, <laughs> their their busy schedule, and uh, it was just like, man, this is a great dog, and, and they just never bothered pursuing it. You know, so uh, that's a horrible life. Oh, yeah, I can... yep. <laughs> yeah that's but you know and that's what's something a trainer had once told me is is he had asked the question he goes what do you want you know before before we get into this and you start paying money I'm like well I, I, if he finds birds and points them and kind of brings them back i i don't care i don't really right. don't care about the rest well <clears throat> 90 90 percent of the dog owners out there would be just completely thrilled to have that oh yeah yeah is and, and, and like you said i i, I was I saw the whole gauntlet. I can remember a guy brought me a short hair one time. Uh, and he brings me this whole list that he wanted it force broke to retrieve. He wanted it broke to wing and shot. He wanted it to back. He had all this big list of everything that he wanted done, but he could only afford 30 days. <laughs> and I told the guy, I said, well, I'll tell you what, in 30 days, it might point, it might not. It might retrieve, it might not, but I'll, I'll do my best. It's not, the rest of this isn't going to happen. It's, it's not feasible, possible. Yep. So, yep. Yeah, there's, there's things about that too. The, what would you do, you know, if, if a guy came to you and, uh, and, and you have at your, at your disposal that facility, and he says, I'm, I just want to go hunt grouse. Is there anything that you would do differently with that dog? Oh yes, you know I, you know I, that was one thing I I had a lot of guys them knowing that I was a grouse hunter and 
that's what I like to do. Uh, they would say, all right, I'm going to train my dog. I'm, I'm going to grouse hunt it. I said, okay. So I would get it started, and I was blessed at the Huntsman. We had a, a huge woods. It wasn't, it was more open. It wasn't really a grouse woods, but there was some little swale holes and spots where I could hide a bird. And once I got the dog started in the open field in a couple of weeks, then I moved right into the woods. So it got acclimated where to hit objectives and handle in the woods, find a, find a bird in the woods and go from there. So, Yeah, yep. just, just find that environment you're saying as well. Right. Yep. Oh, yeah, because, you know, I, you know I, I've seen many dogs that people uh, had them trained in an open field, came up to hunt with me, and they look at the woods and like, what, you want me to go in there? You know, because I hunt a lot of thorn apples and, you know, a lot of raspberry patches, and I'm like, ooh, no, I, uh, I'll stay out here on the trail, you know. <laughs> so... Those ras raspberries and thorn apples will definitely test the dog's drive. I've, oh, yeah. I've seen that where, you know, one dog will look at those and be like, I'll just downwind the whole thing. And then my other dog will look at it and start, well, if it starts to smell like there's something in there, I don't care if it's barbed wire, I'm going in. But yep. they, And then they expect you to go in, so then it tests your drive as well. But uh, yep. <laughs> my last attempt into a bunch of raspberry cane ended up with, nose to nose with a porcupine and uh having to know my dog back out of there and luckily he did actually know himself off it and get out of there but yeah yep there's my my drive was tested to go in there on a dog on point i was in khakis and he got into them them thorns but uh that was kind of painful actually but yeah uh, one one of my favorite spots that's only well two miles from the house is almost a, a solid Thorn apple, hawthorn, just big old four-inch thorns, and I come out of there and I look like I went through a shredder. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but there's 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 birds in there. That's why you go in there. So yep, yep. It's it's hard for you to get them, and it's hard for everything else to get them. It's yep. It's that great shelter. But uh, that is something yet yeah, to, to touch on. That that what what would we specialize in as a as a grouse dog, and that's like you're saying too, just for one, get it into the woods. Would you also then, you if you were, like you said, you were placing those birds, were you placing them in a way where they would run? Is that something you would consider mm, well, trained? Some, you know, later on I would, mainly I would put them in a trap. Hmm. So I knew exactly where the, you know, you know, to give the dog every opportunity. And I, I always, when I first started them, I always kind of worked them into the wind get them quartering because dogs will naturally quarter into the wind. Whereas mm -hmm. it takes a little more for them to learn to go out and hunt back towards you. You know, that's a whole nother scenario. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. That was something that's a, that I kind of saw with my own experience was at a certain point wanting to shift uh, so that the dog had more exposure to a running bird. Um, just because I thought it unnerved one of the ones I had, and he didn't quite know what to do. He would panic. Right. Um, and I've since kind of did better with the second dog. But uh, yep. that is something yep. to keep in mind if, if you're new, 
is, right. Is, and and, and to, to, to get the bird, you know, you and I both know grouse have got huge track shoes. Oh, goodness. And, and the, the woodcock are getting that way, too. You know? yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so yeah, a dog has, they got to learn to track some, you know, so, and then to get them to relocate, you know, they can, where you, you know, if you have to touch them on the head, okay, get them to move. And, uh, it, you know, it, it, it all takes time. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so you had, uh, and I have it in my notes here that, uh, Grouse Haven Kennels, is that, do you still operate that or has that kind of now been part of the past? Well, I, I, I still have it, but, uh, I, when I, when I retired, you know, I normally would have one or two litters of Britneys a year and through, through the club. I, I mean, I, I knew, okay, Jim here, his dog's now 11 years old. It's time for another one. Boop, you know, contact him and, and keep selling dogs. Well, when I went to retire, my last two I have now are males. I said, no, I'm done raising. I knew if I had a female, I'd want to continue <laughs> with puppies. And I went, no, that's that's a pass that I'm gone with. And now I just have males. So, yeah. Okay. So we had. <laughs> uh, it's, it's funny looking ahead in my notes because I know where some of these things go. And I have two pages worth here because we've talked a while. Um, yeah. Tell me about some of these camps, right? You said Saskatchewan, and I have on here as well the the, the Walpole Club. Um, give me some of those memories and experiences. We're gonna we're gonna kind of pop back and forth between some of my notes here. Yeah, on on bird camps, you know, I was blessed. You know, I guess you could say, like I said, I, I grew up in Mount Clemens, but both of my parents were from the Thumb, Deckerville, Sandusky, Snover area. And all of my uncles, aunts, they were all farmers. So I was blessed with some of the best growing up, some of the best pheasant hunting and rabbit hunting. You know, I would go up, stay with them, pheasant hunt, rabbit hunt. And that was kind of my first exposure for a, a camp. And then, like I said, the, the family had a small, it wasn't much of a camp in was on in mile and uh, it was just a little four bedroom, big living room area, kitchen, had a hand pump in the kitchen sink, an outhouse, gas lights, and that was my gross camp when I started getting into it. Mm -hmm. And then then I bought a place in Fairview. And to get my son acclimated into it, I was working at Hunter's Creek part time. Craig Novotny was there. He loves the grouse hunt. So he had Mondays off. And me and my position at Ryder in management, I could take off. I would take every Monday off. I'd let my sons, he skipped more Mondays in the fall than he probably should have. But we would go up, and that was our grouse camp, and we grouse hunted uh, every Monday through the whole season. And... Uh, and that was kind of my first real gross camp there. Hmm. And then the next one, you know, periodically when I could get away, I would rent a motel room and up in Atlanta that had Atlanta motels, got these 
little kitchenette, two bedroom deals. And we'd stay there and started grouse hunting up further up. Mm -hmm. uh, but then when I decided to take some time uh, at work and started going, all right, it's time for me to start taking some vacation time. Uh, <clears throat> my mom was telling me, she goes, well, you know, we've got relatives in Saskatchewan and are farmers. Oh, give me the number. So I called up there and I had, and at the time I wasn't into duck hunting or goose hunting. So I called up to my cousin Dennis and he goes, oh yeah, I own 4,000 acres, you know, and he goes, oh yeah, oh yeah, we got huns and sharp tails. Come on up, you know. And then he goes, do you, do, you, do you guys like the duck hunt? I said, well, yeah, I do some. He goes, oh, man. He goes, out of a 1,000-acre a, a field, I'll lose close to 100 acres in waterfall damage from the ducks and the geese. Come and shoot them all. <laughs> so, so, we started, <laughs> so we started going up, and then one of my customers that I'd sold dogs to went with me, and then he was from South Dakota. So we would go up, spend a week in Saskatchewan, go down to Dimmick, Ethan, South Dakota, hunt his family farms for a week, and then come home. So I did a, a two-week. And then I kind of phased out the pheasant because I'm guiding pheasants all the time. Even though wild pheasants are entirely different, I would rather concentrate on Saskatchewan. And I, I did that for... I think we counted 14 years, and uh, I was I was real fortunate because my my cousin Ron, who's passed away now, loved goose hunting, and he would go and scout, and he'd have all the spot, you know, for the morning we'd go out, and we'd goose hunt, come back in, get a little bite to eat, and then we would upland hunt all day, and it wasn't you know people think I'm crazy, but we would see between 350 to 450 huns and sharp tails a day. <laughs> and then, then the last hour, you took the last hour and we duck hunted. And the limit at the time was eight ducks and it took you an hour and you'd have your eight ducks and we'd go in have dinner, put the birds on ice and then take a period of time, you know, we clean birds and come back with huge coolers and just uh, always came back with our, our all of our birds. And that was kind of my, my fill for the year. It gave me my fix on wild birds. <laughs> oh, <wow. clears throat> so, Yeah, that's I, – I have to go back, though, to that, that camp in Mayo, like you said, the, the pitcher pump in the kitchen, right? Was this oh, yeah. One, was this one of those kinds of deer camps and – and other camps, right? That that guys had literally the red flannel, Woolrich outfit, and you know the thirty thirties on the gun rack on the shelf. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, you know, it, 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 the the property was owned by my my uncle, and then a bunch of my other uncles and my dad. They all went together and they built this little four room. It was four four bedrooms. You came in the front door, and then it was just a big table, one sofa. There was an old oil burner, oil stove for heat. And then the kitchen had a gas stove, had a gas refrigerator, and gas lights for the longest time. 
and the outhouse out the back door, and that was, and it was called Not Yet. <laughs> it was Camp Not Yet. Yep. <laughs> Get anything? Not Yet. <laughs> yes. Now, now then, on a on a much less serious note, there's a there's a a guy I've been talking to who posts a lot of pictures and memories from his camp experiences, and he talks about playing poker in this camp. And some of us had to remind him that once you get north of M10, you're not supposed to play poker. Now, this, oh no, you either play pinochle or euchre. Exactly, and a lot of the time for me, it's been it's been euchre or or you throw the cards away. Um, yeah, and that's but that was something we finally did joke with him. We're like, you had to have been from the Detroit area and worked at at one of the big three to think that poker was a camp game. Poker's yeah. for downstate for the the auto workers. You you gotta yep. play you gotta play euchre. Yep. But, uh, and 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 my my relatives all played pinochle, hmm. and I'm I'm horrible at it. <laughs> it sounds like me and cribbage i yeah. can't get that game but uh so if ever i i don't bet any money on cribbage but yeah. uh, but i i had to ask that just because those are those old guys and those old times are one of those things people kind of go back to that hopefully uh we kind of can make some some popularity gains with again and that is getting up there with whether it's you know that camp was was filled with family or filled with friends, but uh, the value of the camp is is something I feel. Well, I mean, I have a bird camp podcast, so I I think we know where I stand on it. But uh, yeah, yeah, those those times are important to uh, to get people interested in again. But uh, with with this, how long how long did you run tests and trials? Uh I probably was. <clears throat> well, I started out doing hunt tests. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I can tell you a funny story. I had one dog that I co-owned with the the owner of, of a stud, and he didn't run big enough for field trials, so we were hunt testing him. He got through his senior, and I got, I think, one leg of his master. And after I failed like eight times, I said, "I'm not spending any more money on you." I said, "Now you got to go to work." So I go. I took him to the club, you know, I go to guide the first hunt. Now he was phenomenal. He goes along, wham, he slams on point. I walk right past him. I walk to the end of a sorghum strip, put a rooster up. They shoot it. He's still back there, just like he's supposed to be. Now I got to walk all the way back to him, touch him on the head and tell him fetch. Now, (laughs) after after about four birds, I went, this ain't going to work. I got to wreck you, buddy. You're going to have to break and yep. get out there because there, you know, there's only X amount of time and it, it varied. I mean, I, I had some guys that would, they put out 50 pheasants, you know, <laughs> and, 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 and you go, man, you know, if I'm going to see all these, you can't be doing the dog and pony show and being, be back there. So I basically had to wreck him. But I, I could still keep him broke when I wanted to. Like a lot of times we do big, big quail hunts or a chucker hunt, whatever. And, yeah. and I, I could flush the birds and, you know, maybe only one would flush or whatever and keep him there and, and keep flushing birds and then let him go and do his retrieve. And, you know, he was, he, he was a phenomenal dog, but, but, uh, 
Stan broke the wing and shot at the, in that scenario. No, that wasn't cut. No, <laughs> no, no, there's, and I like that whistle command where I can get you moving with a whistle. Um, but I want to touch on that real quick, just cause the math in there involved. If you buy 50 pheasants and you have a half day hunt at a preserve and, and say you wanted just to have a good time, you're talking like a point in a flush every six minutes or something. Oh yeah. Oh and yeah. It's not, it's not realistic. Not only is it, it's, it's a waste of your money. <laughs> they didn't care. Some no. of them didn't, a lot of them didn't even take the birds home. Oh. They just donate them to the kitchen. Yep. <laughs> you know, even, even at 20 birds, you know, in a, in a good sized field, you know, the, the, the average guy now, now the huntsman isn't always average guys, but you know, if you can afford even 10 birds in a four hour thing, you get to see good dogs. You get to, to enjoy right. it. You'll bring some birds home. Um, yeah, 50 from the guide's perspective, I don't know about you, but you ever try to plant 50 birds before daylight because the guys are coming soon and you're going to have to do the safety talk and that's a chore. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and that's probably why, it's probably why I've got arthritis so bad in both wrists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, there's only so much you can do to get a pheasant put in the weeds before you got to yep. keep going like if you're going to flush and if you're going to point and flush one every six minutes you got to plant one every 16 seconds oh yeah oh yeah there was times when i you know you know so some guys they all they wanted to do was hunt from sorghum patch to sorghum patch and i'm going man this this ain't cutting it with me you know so you'd have six birds in one sorghum patch you know yeah and they all run <laughs> to the like, they run to the end they flush like a covey of quail yeah so oh i but I, like I said, I, I was very blessed. Met some wonderful, wonderful people there. Yeah. Got to train some super great dogs. And, uh, you know, so, you know, some, some people, you know, so long. And I learned, you know, one of the big things, you know, re retrieving. You know, it got to the point where I had only force break for certain people. You know, I can give you a scenario. I had a guy that went to Montana every year wild bird hunting. And he always had setters and his setters would never retrieve. And he goes, man, I, you know, get this dog to retrieve. So he left it with me for four months because when we train at the Huntsman, it would be May, June, July, August, and then a little bit into September. And I would normally take 10 to 15 dogs a month. So I was, I was busy, you know? So I, I took this dog and it took me a while, but I got it. I had it force broke. I mean, it, it would, if, if I wanted to, I could hold my arms out. It would jump into my arms with a bird in its mouth. You know, it was just happy to retrieve. Yeah. He was ecstatic. He goes, man, I'd never seen a, I've never seen a setter retrieve in my life, but boy, you did it. He picks the dog up. They go to North Dakota. I think it was North Dakota. And by the, you know, the first bird, it brought it all the way back. The second bird brought it part way, And then he just, he didn't reinforce it and make it. So he just, you know, he was like, oh, shit, I don't have to do this. I just go find another one. So all that work I did went right out the window. <laughs> <laughs> so I just went, you know, if they're not going to work with me, if they're not going to stick with it, Fido's going to retrieve or not. I'm, I'm not, you know. I'm not doing it. <laughs> you yep. <know>? so, yep. <laughs> I, that's one of those things too. You spend all the money on a trainer 
and you get what you want out of it. And the trainer looks at you and it's like, well, I think I trained the wrong end of this leash. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Yep. There's, that's, that's one of those things you've invested. You gotta, you gotta protect your investment as the, the owner and the handler. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's something now. Now tell me you, how long was, was chef Tom there when you were there? Was he there the whole 20 years or however long? No, he, you know, he came in, we had one, a couple others prior to him, but He's probably been, you know, and he's still there. He's probably, I bet he's been there 25, going on 30 years now. And uh, like I said, I, you know, he kind of, Tom would kind of, you know, he'd be doing something and I, oh, what are you doing here? Or how can I utilize this? You know, and, and he's the one that turned me on, you know, like with my woodcock now, like see Tom, Tom invented, he's got this line of seasonings. You hear me talk about love, love my seasons. And he's got, you know, an herb blend. He's got one that he calls Acapulco gold and then a barbecue. And, and I use two of them daily. I mean, I've got big bags of them here. And, you know, when I started doing woodcock, you know, my wife would go, man, I, I just don't care for them that well, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, so Tom said, all right, here's what you do. Take the Acapulco gold, just fillet off the little medallions, you know, boom, you got these little bite-sized medallions, mm -hmm. yep. pat, pat them dry a little bit, put a little bit of olive oil on them, put the Acapulco gold heavy on both sides, set, you know, cover it with saran wrap, put it in the refrigerator for a couple of hours. Okay, and then get the my cast iron skillet with a little olive oil, get it good and hot, rare, just a on each side, and that kind of that Acapulco gold kind of caramelizes on there before you put it in, and it just gives a little. It doesn't overpower the flavor of the woodcock, but everybody that I that I prepared it for just loves it. They'll just, they eat them like popcorn. And then, then time showed me, I make a woodcock pate. You know, he showed me, gave me a, a recipe where I learned how to make woodcock pate. And everybody just rants and raves about it, you know, and just different ways of, with the, everything from fish to, to grouse, venison dishes, you know, um, just taught me a lot, you know. Even on vegetables, you know, because Tom does a huge garden there. I mean, I mean, an incredible huge garden. And then he does a big farm to table pears. And he just, uh, he's just a, you'd have to meet the guy. I mean, he's so laid back. I've never seen him lose his cool. I mean, he does these huge lobster boils every year for. <laughs> 300 people at a time and they do it as a progressive uh, deal where you start out and you have your salad and then you get on the wagons and you go out and you have, you know, the soup. Then you go on out and you do the out in, into the field next to a pond. He's got these big pots and he does all these lobsters, you know, the huge flies them in from Maine. And then you come back in for the desserts and, you know, I mean, I got, I, I think I just gained five pounds remembering them. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that, that pate recipe, I'm, I now have to, we have to make it schedule and happen where I get to go meet him because he, you're now about the 10th person who said Woodcock pate. I, oh I, yeah. And it's like, and it's, okay. It's now. So, it is so simple, so simple to make. And uh, I'll, I'll send you the, re- I've got the recipe. I'll, I'll try and yeah. pick a copy and send it to you. Oh. It's just so simple, you know, just, and I started switching over. I think I told you, you know, I use a lot of ramps now and uh, I kind of got away from the onion and the garlic, but the ramps, I mean, I, I go out and harvest all the ramps that I need for the year, power boil them, process them. And that's what I use. And, and I started using ramps in the pate instead of a little onion and garlic. Uh, hmm. But there's a lot of butter. I mean, you'll use, <laughs> you're going to melt, I think it's a pound of butter. And you take eight woodcock medallions and you get them rare, just barely cooked, pour that whole concoction into your blender and whip it and add as much brandy or whiskey, whatever you want to flavor it in there and put it in little containers and, and you can free, you know, and I'll, I'll freeze it. I still have one in the freezer. I think that I did, uh, you can freeze it and keep it in the fridge and then crackers and man, people just really simple, easy. Yep. And it's an excuse to go buy brandy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. Not, not that I need an excuse. I actually want to make an English <laughs> and a true English fruitcake this year. So at the, about okay. the end of September, really, I should make it. I should then put it over in a nice, cool, dry room with the cheesecloth and just periodically soak it in booze the way they did um, yep. for the proper effect, which I may or may not actually do that part of it. But I call me weird, but I like fruitcake, but I have to try one someday like <laughs> that. And that's another one of those things where I'm going to need some brandy. And who knows? that Brandy is a great dessert cooking thing anyway. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe but, I'll have like, that with you know, the... like I told you, most of my I know you do a lot of wine sauces and mine is more what I do is more simple, you know, kind of meat and potato type, you know. I, I've got a phenomenal venison barley soup. Uh I got... simple, but I see the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's simple for me to make, you know. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. I, I don't have to have a lot of exotic uh, seasons and, you know, stuff, you know, uh, now today I did have to go get some, um, fresh basil for the, uh, tomato pie that I made, yes. uh, which right. I didn't have enough. So I had to go get a bunch, you know, so yeah. Yep. That's, that's one thing I have a surplus of right now is, is basil. Uh, the rosemary plant is getting bigger and bigger as well, but, uh, that's, there's something about fresh herbs, but that's an entirely different conversation. Yeah. Uh, I, I did notice, and I have to make fun of you now, actually, on the record. I follow you. I I watch the recipes. I look at it and see what's on the plate, and then you lose me somewhere around the plant butter. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I say, well, I can substitute this for real butter. Okay, we're good well, again. Yeah. The, the recipe actually calls for real butter. Which, but... 
which plant did they make you use? <laughs> well, uh, it's mainly uh, either olive oil or avocado. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's that's one of those. I know that it's it, my time is coming where I'll have to moderate my red meat. I'll have to stop the cream sauces. I mean, there will be a bunch of things I have to do, but until then, I'm, I don't want to. Right. Oh, I, I can, trust me, I did not want to, you know, <laughs> yep. you know, when, when I've got an Amish creamery nearby oh. that has, that has the, the best butter, you know, they're, they're half and half. The first time I got it to make something, I thought, oh, this is sour because it was so thick, but it's just that it's, it wasn't sour. It's just so thick. <laughs> It's so much cream that uh, yeah. it staggers you. So oh yeah, and with and with real butter too, you can your you can infuse your ramps right into that and then freeze it. Oh boy. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's. <laughs> oh, either way, I, I had to go on the record as teasing you. That's yep. That's my nature. But uh, yep. speaking of teasing, there was a guy, <coughs> guy we had mentioned earlier. Um, a former podcast guest even that you had sold a dog to and uh, tell me a bit about Bob and Gordy well I, I didn't sell him the dog okay no no he'd gotten it up uh, in the thumb and uh, actually he was an engineer at at General Motors and all the engineers were in the grouse hunting so he gets this dog brings it to me wants it trained and by god the dog was like a natural and, uh, and we always tell everybody, and uh, I, I hope he doesn't, he's not embarrassed. I don't think he'd be embarrassed. It is kind of funny. We always tell everybody, if you have any questions at all, don't hesitate to call. So he picks the dog up, and he didn't even, he had to go, he didn't have a shotgun. He had to go buy a gun. You know, he, he didn't know squat, really. And... Uh, we get a call. Craig Novotny goes, hey, you got a call. I got him on the speakerphone here. So he goes, yeah, we're in the woods, and he won't move. I go, okay, walk past him, you know, and uh, touch him on the head. And finally, he flushed the bird, and we could hear the bird flush. And he, you know, he, he didn't even know what it was. And now he's one of the top. I mean, this guy has progressed so far. Uh, in the grouse trials, I mean, champion after champion after champion, uh, just uh, got a ton of dogs now. Just uh, a peach of a guy, mm -hmm. and and he 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 wanted us to take the dog back the next year and finish it. And I said, that's not our forte. So he had to find another trainer and got the dog broke and uh, continued on, uh, and being half Gordon, half Setter, it wasn't registered, but he could still run it in, in certain stakes, but couldn't, uh, and did, did phenomenal. So, yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to call him a friend. He's, uh, like I said, he's at the top. He's one of the, he's in the top of the game. I mean, he's right there. Great guy. Yep. And I, yep. and I know he's been listening to the podcast too, cause he, he asked me about it the other day as to make sure he could find all the episodes. So, 
Yep. This will show up in his notifications, but uh, and again too, he he had a champion this this year. He, yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, another one. So. Yeah, another one. He's he's been very blessed and uh, does a a great job handling them. Uh, and and he still goes back to I believe he goes back to Dave the Holster. They haven't trained, and Dave Dave I've known Dave forever. I mean, and that's who I got the idea of doing grouse jogs because that's what Dave does. He he'll bring a trailer load. You know, his his big truck holds what seventeen dogs I think, and he comes up, stays, works dogs uh, for two days, goes back home, comes back up. And uh, he, you know, Dave does a phenomenal job. I mean, I learned, I learned tons. You know, I, I learned all this from, like I said, my, my, my dad always, we always had Britneys. But when I started, I'll tell you a funny story. When I started at Hunter's Creek, they wouldn't let me use my own dog. I had to use one of theirs. And our dogs always just kind of flashpointed. They were Britneys, but we never trained them. You know, it was just wild birds. They'd kind of flashpoint and, more like a springer and put the bird up, you know? And I went, holy shit, you know, I got to walk past this dog and flush it. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was like a, a learning curve for me too. So, yeah, but. Uh, huh. Yeah. That... <laughs> oh, that's, that's one of those things too. And, and as a hunter, you know, that, it it is kind of effective sometimes to have the dog do the work too. So yeah, you'd be happy as can be until someone tells you you can't use your own dog. That's yeah. Well, then it, it took a while. Then I was able to, but yeah, the newbie, you know, they wanted they had no idea what your dogs were like. Yep. So no, you used a club dog and went from there. And then as you got established a bit, then you went from there. So yeah, yeah. So. <clears throat> One of the, one of the, my always, it's, this is an old reliable question that sometimes I throw out there to people. And that is what's your favorite grouse gun right now? Right, right now. Yep. Well, don't, don't drool. Okay. Oh no. That... <laughs> don't, don't, don't drool. It's a... But one of the last dogs that I trained at the Huntsman for a guy, he, uh, he, he buys a gun through Dumachelle's. Al, Al Warren, the big shot at GM, when he passed away, they auctioned off all of his guns. So he buys this 28-gauge side-by-side. And, he, you know, they deliver it because we had a, a FFL license at the club. They bring it there, and I'm there with him. And he gets it, and he's looking at this thing, and he goes, ah, shit, this thing's got two triggers. I go, oh, can I look at it? I think it's light as a feather. It's a PT Baker, over 100 years old, the most beautiful wood, super light. And <laughs> I'm looking at it, and he goes, you like that thing, Craig? And I go, yeah. He goes, well, I was going to buy you a Caesar Guarini for training the dog, but if you want it, take it home. And, and he paid like $4,000 for this thing. <laughs> and that is my, that is my, that's my go-to favorite that's what I mainly grills up with now. Yep. Oh boy. That, those stories don't happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just gotta you gotta go to work at a very high end club and then things materialize. So yeah. 
Right. I'm. I. I don't work at an exclusive club right now. That's for sure. But yeah, uh, <laughs> I can always dream. Right. That's. I think that's with a lot of my guests. Is I can always dream that I'm them. Um, yep. <laughs> but main, mainly, uh, mainly also I, I shoot. Uh, and then I've got a a, a Franke. Uh, what do they call it? A forty-eight twenty-eight gauge semi-automatic. Oh yeah. I do. I do use it. I've got uh, a Beretta Silver Snipe twenty gauge mm. over and under. I shoot that. And I have my dad's 12 gauge side by side, which I keep meaning to take a picture of it and go on the side by side association. There's not, you cannot find a number, you can't find a, a, a name, nothing on this gun as the make, model, or anything. But it's just a, it's, it's a cool old gun, and he, you know, it's cylinder, cylinder, and there you go. <laughs> yeah. So at least it's choked properly for a 12 gauge. That's, yeah. Yep. Yeah, especially. So, I mean, that's a that's a great Michigan configuration right there. Yep. Yep. I I hardly ever use it because it's heavy, uh, but I I do shoot it periodically. Mm-hmm. My other 12 gauge guns are all either a slug gun or my duck, goose, turkey gun. Other mm-hmm. than that, you know, everything is sub gauge. Uh, what I prefer. Got a, a 410 LC Smith uh, side by side. So, yep. What? And that's mainly, uh, that's all my son shoots. You know, he's, I, I can tell you a funny story. <laughs> I tell you, you know, Craig Novotny and I started taking him grouse hunting. He's 12 years old. And we started him out with an Ivor Johnson single shot hammer gun that had been because he was he was small for his age you know so it was cut down so it fit him and uh he's he was pumping me up wanting a, a side by side you know and uh so we're grouse hunting and we're in these big beach ridges and craig's dog and mine go on point and this family group of grouse come up and i swing and i sh- shoot one craig hits one matt shoots at the same time and shoots the same bird that Craig did, and uh, the birds just went down this little ridge and settled in. Now Craig and I both had coals, and we're and we're sitting. Goes Matt goes they're right over there. I said, well, go get him, kid. So he takes off, and and he's he's plowing down through. And pretty soon we hear the the bell quit. The dog's on point. We hear pow, and he comes strolling back, and he goes, well, I would have had a double if I would have had that double barrel. I go, oh, you, you got the one then? Oh, no, I missed it. But there was two came up, so that was his theory. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So. Oh, yep. Well, you're kind of hitting on some of the things I wanted to finish this up with, and that was some of the camp memories. And uh, <laughs> and your your son being one of them there, that's a, that's a great one. Um, oh, yeah. I, you know, I, we, we still hunt <laughs> together. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I've had, you know, a lot with Craig Novotny, we've had some great, <laughs> great, great times with him. I'll tell you another funny story about poor Matt. He, he you know, he doesn't, he's always the blunt sometimes. We took him pheasant hunting, wild pheasants. And like I said, my family was all farmers, and I still had 
my one aunt and uncle, they kind of let their farm go dormant. It's outside of Snowbrook. And there was a, a drainage ditch that went through it, and there's these big stubble fields. And we we go in there and when we started, and I shot a rooster. Craig shot a rooster. His buddy shot a rooster. We hit another spot. I'd gotten a limit. And well, poor Matt was always in the wrong place at the wrong time. So we go back to this, and Bud says, those birds are going to roost in that field. So we go back just before dusk, and we're – now we're it was kind of cool, you know. Uh, we're watching a bird fly in, and 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 all of a sudden, rooster flies in. We tell Matt, "There you go, kid. Go get him. It's yours." He takes off across the field with my two Britneys. He goes across the field, and all of a sudden, you know, he had a beeper on. We hear the beeper, and all of a sudden, I see him running backwards. And I can see the dog going, one going around in circles, and I see him shoot on the ground. I'm going, what the hell is he doing, you know? And he comes back, and as he's getting closer, it was a skunk. <laughs> <laughs> the, the dog got it right square in the, in, the, in the face. She's sneezing, sneezing, sneezing. Matt just, you know, he gets up, it's on his pant legs. He had a pair of chaps on. He's reeking. We get back up to the truck and he goes to open the door and I go, Hey, where are you going? He goes, uh, we're going home. I go, no, you take your clothes off. And he goes, what? I go, you take your clothes off. We tied his boots on the mirror, threw his pants and that in the back. And I made him ride home in his underwear. Because he go, You're not getting in the truck. <laughs> uh, well, at least so. you didn't throw him in the back, too. <laughs> right along with the dog, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Um, I, th I think I'm going to ask you for one more story then, and that's from, from one of those, those camps before. If, if you have one out there that uh, uh, not really old-timey is kind of the bad way of saying it, really, but uh, something from those days that, that are beyond me. Uh, is there anything like that that comes to mind for you? Uh, you know, I, you know, I, I I think I can relate. Actually, I I talked with Travis a little bit about this. Like I said, I started out pheasant hunting, and and mainly in my mom's family farm. It's a centennial farm, and and I can still picture where I shot my very first rooster, and. I was probably 12 and I can picture that spot, you know, I can, you know, the old farmhouse are getting ready to tear it down, but I can still picture it exact spot where I got my very first rooster and I'm going to be 72 next month. So this was close to 60 years ago and I can go back to the same farm, but now there's, there's, no lane going back. There's not a fence. Everything's farmed right up to the road. And uh, the habitat, you know, Travis, you know, well, we need money to go for habitat. Well, there's only so much state land through the thumb that can support, you know, this pheasant stamp that he's protesting, you know. <laughs> and and yep. uh, it's just, it's all the farming habits. You know, the yep. any farmer that's going to be farming there's not a weed 
I mean, there's nothing. I mean, I can remember in the old days, you know, they, they still had to cultivate the fields, you know, with, you know, with a cultivator. And there'd be weeds and grass and there was fences because they, they still had dairy cows there. And there was pastures and just everything, you know, fence rows and it's all gone. Nothing's, not, nothing's there anymore, you know, so, yep. 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 Yeah, the old the old farmhouse over by where my grandpa was actually born, uh, for the longest time still stood there, and then one year it was gone, and that's, you know, the the landscape has changed since I was a kid. Even it can, it's it's only worse as I as I get older. But uh, yeah, that's that's one of those. I guess that's one of those things we're going to be doomed to see, and that's just things keep changing on us. Yeah, but uh, and and it's it's all part of the farming process, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the. It was my mom. My mom had like 18 brothers and sisters, and you know, her one brother took over the family farm, and then his son took it over, and now his son has taken it over. And they, you know, they they got out of it's all cash crops now. There's no, there's no. Uh, they got out of the dairy business, so the dairy barn's gone, so they can farm there. Tommy now had, you know, the the house was this huge house and my grandfather had actually moved it there from Fort Huron with teams of horses. They rolled it to get this, you know, they had the first electricity in Sandlack County, hmm. uh, this huge home, but it's not, no one lives in it now. You know, all of my aunts and uncles have passed away. Uh, you know, Reg has his own home. Tommy has his own home with his wife, you know, and more farmland. So the house is going to be torn down so they can utilize more, more ground. You know, it's uh, just the way it, it's just the way progress goes. So. Yep. Yep. And then, you know, now, now it's with the, the habitat money and the things like that. We're going to, even with the way things progress forward, you know, do our part to carve out something uh, just to kind of keep that wildlife out because you know your your memories drifting into my memories should also drift into you know our kids memories and so on and uh, and that's important enough that we should be raising money and, and doing our part but oh yeah yep yep it also <clears throat> it also helps if you if you cook it right and everyone enjoys it <laughs> yeah <laughs> I do, I, I do love my pheasant pot pies. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, and pheasant and dumplings aren't aren't far behind those, are they? Yep, yep. Mm. All right, well, on that, we're going to wrap it up. And, uh, and okay. again, thank you, Craig, for being on, and I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me about this. Yep. And, uh, and uh, you never know, I just might be able to get you over to the Huntsman someday. So. We need to put that on the calendar. I got I to gotta meet Chef Tom and see the grounds and... Probably. Oh yeah, they're, they're, even... they they are impeccable. You know, they it's one it's probably one of the only places they they do uh, these. We call it a hill shoot, but it sim- simulates a pure driven hunt. I mean, when I when I when I ran them, I mean, I had my barber coat on. I've got a hat from Purdy, you know, and you you dress the. the to the T and all, you know, there'd be six guns and they would draw the peg and, you know, the whole caboodle and all these birds are come off this huge hill 
they're under power so high up that it's uh it's pretty cool so yeah oh, man oh, yep. that that's that's one of my hot buttons i gotta try something like that yep the closest you'll get to going to Scotland, Ireland, England without actually going. <laughs> yep. Oh, oh, there's another thing I got to work extra hard for. Okay, yep. good. Well, again, I All right, Joe. appreciate it, Craig. Thank you. Yep. All right. Anytime. Yep. See you. Have a good one. Yep. Bye.